Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Floyd. Floyd, welcome to the show. Thank you. Really excited to be here. Absolute pleasure. Why don't you uh, pronounce your name for everybody so we have it in full? Yeah, Floyd Mirnescu, probably the only one in the world, a Romanian last name and an English first name, was born here in Toronto. Fantastic. I probably should have asked that in the beginning so I could have <laughs> said it, but then I sort of started, came out and go, mm, what's his last name? <laughs> awesome. But why don't we start this episode with the way I start every episode with a description of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Okay. Well, uh, I, uh, I have a tech background in computer science. I own a company. We do it's a software developer education company. We do large conferences in New York, San Francisco, and London called QCon, like fifteen hundred attendees, a hundred speakers, that sort of thing. Uh, we have a news website for software engineers. Been doing that for over fifteen years. Uh, and then several years ago, I, I went uh, part time in that work and started to do some nonprofit work. Where uh, right now we're, we're focused on have a, a small think tank called Commonwealth Canada that's researching how a land value tax could improve the housing market. Uh, as well as how sovereign wealth funds could be a way that we could have investment income for everyone. And I also spent a few years and we still continue to promote uh, universal basic income for Canada, the idea we can end poverty through a UBI. Um, uh, but uh, recently been really focused on housing. Right. That's kind of interesting because uh, there's different perspectives on that. And that one yeah. could be very controversial depending on how you look at it. Yeah. Myself, I'll be honest, that could be one of the controversies here because I'm a, uh, a pure capitalist. Yeah. Right. And I guess there's really could be ways to integrate things. There doesn't have to be A or B. Mm -hmm. Right. There could be other opportunities. But let's dig into that. OK. Right. Like you got into this thing, like universal basic income. Why? OK. Well, um, I, as a guy in tech, seeing how automation disrupts jobs, disrupts industries, uh, I saw it disrupt my own father and uncle who were in automotive manufacturing here in Ontario in the 2000s. There was a rapid automation wave in response to Chinese competition and uh, and, and the industry contracted by 50% in terms of jobs. Uh, and now they, they, what they have to do is what everyone else does when uh, when automation happens. They end up taking lower income work after that. So, you know, look, we've already have decades of automation that has been disrupting, reducing the middle class, increasing the number of people in low-income jobs, reducing the quality of those jobs, and putting us towards a two-tiered society. And like that doesn't seem fair. So uh, basic income is a much more efficient, uh, um, uh, much more efficient small government approach to social welfare. Uh, it takes people out of welfare programs that currently disincentivize working and incentivizes work instead because you get to keep the money when you take your work. Um, and in those who remain in, in welfare programs will get more targeted services that they actually need. We still need social workers, even if we, we've eliminated poverty, for, for example. So basic income will, you can see it as like a, um, a, uh, a raise for lower income workers who currently, like two thirds of people in poverty are working. And that's not fair. You shouldn't be in poverty if you're working. But that's just what, what is happening right now with all the automation we have and the way the market's structured. So basic income is a way to bring decency back so that everyone can actually have a decent life even while working. Um, yeah, I appreciate saying you're a pure capitalist. I mean, I run a business myself. And uh, that's why uh, economists on both left and right, including Milton Friedman, the most right-wing economist who ever lived, was for basic income. Also, uh, Friedman Hayek, uh, sorry, not Friedman, uh, Hayek, whose libertarian icon was for it because he saw that we shouldn't allow one group to be vulnerable to domination by another. And this is a way that you can avoid that. Yeah, now I have an opinion on that as well, and not a negative one. Yeah. Um, Elon Musk had said, uh, that eventually our future will probably be people living on government checks while AI takes over. Um, he said that in the past. I don't know if that's the same view or not, but we're kind of seeing something head that way. Like prior to COVID, 
There was no such thing as work from home. You want to work from home, it means you're unemployed. And we're now, look at it, nobody wants to go back to the office, right? So, I mean, now some people are being forced to go back to the office. Some jobs really never left it because you couldn't work without it. But the point is the fact that things have changed. I don't think that COVID changed the market. I just think COVID made tomorrow come today. And yeah, that's what I, I really believe. I agree. Like, uh, COVID accelerated th these trends. However, I, as I've said before, we have decades of automation that have already shown us what will happen with automation. More lower income work, uh, less quality jobs, and, and less opportunity for advancement for, for most. Obviously, there are few can get a super highly technical degree, but there's not enough high income jobs for everybody. I don't know a single economist that's predicting or can name good middle class jobs that will be created through automation ways. There's just not enough. So one of the arguments is that as automation continues to uh, reduce job quality for, for many while, while increasing prosperity for a few, everyone should have a, a bit of a piece of that. Like it's fair to, to share uh, in, in that context. And um, so it's, I don't like thinking of it as government checks because that, that makes it sound like it's welfare, like it's charity. It's not charity. It, it's, it's more like what is the rightful share people can have of our pro progress in our growing economy when, when our imagination of, of working hard to get ahead through jobs just doesn't really exist anymore. Like there's just not enough middle-class jobs. So that's why Andrew Yang, for instance, when he was running for president said, we have to find a way to give everyone a share of every Uber ride, a share of every Google search, uh, so that everyone benefits from automation. And so that's why I think UBI is seen as a, a way we can build a stake in the economy, a stake in technological progress where everyone benefits and we, we all feel more uh, excited about automation, in fact, because we all benefit from it. Yeah, I kind of see your point there. Um, now, in terms of, look, the raising minimum wage, nowhere near enough. I mean, I believe 15 years ago, I used to say minimum wage needed to be at $24 to keep up with the pace. I think today that's going to be more like $35. Wow. And the issue is no one's going to, no government's going to, you know, force a company to go from $15 to $35 overnight like that. Yeah. So obviously that's not going to be possible. And I think that's what's creating the gap. Because uh, houses 15 years ago, let's just say an average house would have been 450,000, 500,000. Mm -hmm. Today, that average house is 1.2. So that's more than two times. Yeah. And with that being said, salaries have gone up maybe 5 to 10%, not 100%. That's right. <laughs> Crazy. Right? So unfortunately, inflation is growing faster than people's salaries. That's right. So... Yeah, I can see that uh, the middle class is being wiped out and it's going to be uh, more and more like that in the future. Now, we kind of got to look at what government checks are like. Prime example, during COVID, we got uh, CERB or some people got CERB and that was nowhere near enough to even cover a mortgage. So my curiosity to this is yeah. that who provides the, these, the, the, the money and how does that work out and how do you determine who gets how much? Yeah, okay. Um, so again, the purpose of a basic income is it's basic. It's meant to be at the poverty level so that no one falls into the traps of what the worst elements of poverty, which keeps people trapped in poverty. It gives people long-term income security. That's different from current welfare programs where you don't have long-term security. And in fact, you're, you're trapped in this because you lose all of it if you try and work. Some people can't work because they'll lose key benefits and key subsidies that they need to survive. For example, people on disability. I know people on disability who who said, I, I can't work more than like 10 hours a month or whatever the limit is, or else I'll lose my, my disability, um, like my discounts on, on various healthcare services. Like that's crazy. We shouldn't be creating disincentives to work. So, um, so basic income solves that, right? And it's, so it's not meant to be enough, yeah, to pay a mortgage. It, it, it's meant to be enough to ensure no one falls into poverty and people can take long-term bets. Like what if we had a society where no one was worried about failing? Like students, entrepreneurs, they know they have a backup 
it's that's why a lot of entrepreneurs like Elon Musk types see it as seed funding, like capital funding for the people, so everyone can take risks. And uh, I personally got 120 Canadian CEOs to sign a, le a letter in Canada asking for basic income to be implemented. And and one of the reasons, the many reasons that they signed, some reasons were we shouldn't have poverty with all this wealth. Another reason is that they themselves had had a break early on. They had some income support. Some of it was was government uh, entrepreneurial grants or or unemployment checks, for instance. And they used it to launch businesses. Like they know that that this will help people pursue their potential. And that's what really is in my heart is why it drove me to this. I want to have a society where everyone can pursue their potential. Now I didn't actually answer your question. Who should pay for it and how much so but generally um, uh, in the current climate I think anywhere in Canada $2,000 a month uh, would be the market basket measure it would eliminate poverty almost completely uh, in Canada um, and so again this is an this is to stop poverty it's not to enable middle-class living but a middle-class living could be possible because what we've seen from various experiments is that and we've seen it during COVID is when people have income support uh, or sorry, income security, even long-term security, even short-term security, like during COVID, people can negotiate better wages. People can pursue better jobs. They're, they're going to say no to a shitty employer who doesn't treat them well. And, and that, I would argue, is great for society. We saw during COVID that ho leisure and hospitality industry was increasing payments and benefits. That's great because that's like the most, those are the most vulnerable roles that there are out there, jobs. Uh, why shouldn't they have more benefits and pay? We, we saw in the experiment in the 70s that uh, median wages in Dolphin, Manitoba, where there was a five-year experiment on basic income, median wages went up 6.8%. Now you may think, well, how is that? Because they weren't getting the basic income at the median. It's because from the, uh, the lower incomes, they could negotiate better wages, and that trickled up and benefited everyone, including the middle class. So that, that that's what's possible in terms of possibly outrunning inflation. It, you know, we see that, yes, inflation is not kept up with cost of living. You could see the reverse of that. Wage growth hasn't kept up with inflation, and automation is a big reason for that because as technology disrupts more and more jobs, there's just not enough wage demand, demand to keep paying workers more to, to keep up with it because there's more people competing for fewer jobs uh, proportionally as the economy grows. Now, who should pay for it? I don't think working people, middle-class people should pay for it. Absolutely not. We're already taxed enough. Uh, at uh, ubiworks.ca, which is the nonprofit that um, I've been part of and running for the last four years, we, we put out a funding plan that would cost $50 billion on the net. That's after a lot of other government savings. Um, and primarily that could be paid for uh, through the by the financial sector, by some certain loopholes, uh, removing loopholes uh, that benefit the wealthiest and benefit large corporations without raising income taxes, without raising corporate taxes, things that would not damage economic productivity and would not affect the vast majority of working people uh, because nobody wants like there was a there was a uh, a survey at one point saying, you know, 60, more than 60% of Canadians want basic income, but only 30% would pay more tax for it. So like we have to make sure that they don't pay more tax. And uh, there are ways that it can be funded uh, to achieve that. Yeah. See, that's where I'm having a problem understanding, right? Like, because yeah. you're saying taking away benefits, like what kind of benefits would you take away? Oh, well, look at, we already spend, so the cost of poverty in Canada was estimated to be $80 billion, which is actually the gross cost of a guaranteed basic income, almost the same number. Uh, so a lot of programs programs already exist to help to fight poverty, but they have a lot of uh, restrictions and a lot of testing, a lot of forms, a lot of bureaucracy. A lot of people have to waste time doing demeaning and humiliating things just to survive. Uh, and again, I mentioned earlier that there's a work disincentive because you'll lose it when you go when you go to work. So it, it keeps people trapped in poverty. So that the cash component of all those programs could be replaced dollar for dollar by a basic income, um, which would be effectively using existing uh, taxpayer flows, just directing it to a more efficiently organized program that actually 
treats people with more dignity. So that's what would be, as well as there's obviously government salary workers, you won't need as many people involved in the administration. These programs like cash support programs only cost like under 2% uh, on average. Uh, it's, you know, government's very good at writing checks. It's not very good at telling people what to do. Right now, now let me, you brought up a point here, right? Here's another <laughs> uh, point there because your solution there you're saying is uh so your solution is to use funds that already exist and redistribute them into a different place therefore creating open government jobs that they can lay off people so that that's in essence saying lay off these people so these people could get the pay well, I know that's probably not what you meant, but that's the way it sounded. Well, that's actually why a lot of public service unions are opposed to basic income. <laughs> you know, that's a sad and weird truth about it. But it's not nearly as, as, as drastic as people fear. There's actually not that many people involved in the administration of a lot of these programs. Uh, in terms of cost savings. What I mean is like the actual dollar amount that's going to the recipients, dollar for dollar could be done in a more unconditional way than a conditional way through existing welfare programs. Uh, but yeah, that, that, it does look like that. And that's why the, some unions are opposed to it. Like even, even unions that have nothing to do with government, some have been opposed to it because they see as losing their own influence. Uh, for instance, if people can bargain for themselves, then what do you need a, a union for? Now, other union leads were for it because they see it as, well, we're we're losing anyway because automation is taking our jobs and globalization. There's not much we can do about it. So we should lobby for this. We give our own members like more, more, more leverage. Right, right. Now, yeah, you're, I, I get your point here. Like <laughs> I see what you're saying here. But now you've opened up so many questions in my head. I'm let's trying go. to figure out where let's, do I want to go with Let's this. do it. Now, one of the things is that, um, again, that's easy. I mean, we already established that you said it's 2000 bucks. It's redistributing from somewhere else. Now, what determines, like prime example, I can make 100 grand a year. So am I entitled to an extra 24 grand based on this program? Well, okay. So there's two kinds of basic income when you talk about it. There's a universal basic income and there's a, a guaranteed basic income or any variant that has the word guarantee in it. Uh, UBI means everyone gets the same amount, which is what Andrew Yang was running on for president in, uh, in the last election. Uh, a guaranteed one means uh, is actually what Milton Friedman was for, who was a right-wing economist, uh, that is structured like existing programs are, where the benefit increases the less money you, you, you make, and it eventually phases out uh, as you make more money. So a $2,000 guaranteed basic income per month um, at a 50% clawback, which means which is structured the same way as unemployment insurances, you can actually work and keep your EI checks for a few months. Um, and the conservatives were arguing for this, this exact program during serve. They wanted a 50% clawback on SERB checks, which means that for every dollar you make in your job, you, you don't you lose 50% 50 cents of the of the basic income. So so that means that a $24,000 annual basic income would have been phased out uh, completely after $48,000 in in earned income. So it only goes to those who need it most. Now this here how how here's how it helps lower income people who are in poverty. If someone's making 20,000 a year, uh, then only 10,000 of that is removed from their basic income, which means uh, they have 20,000 from their earned income and then 14 more from the basic income. So they're at 34,000. So they're better off working than not working because they get 34 instead of just the 24. And, and that's how um, the conservatives argued that SERB should be changed during during COVID. And that's what a guaranteed basic income would do. Uh, this kind of guaranteed basic income would cost a net $51 billion in Canada. Uh, a universal one will cost a lot more. And that's why like, Andrew Yang argued to create something like a GST in the States for on 10% GST that would give everyone a thousand bucks a month. Now a thousand bucks a month is a lot less than $2,000 a month that we could afford with a lot less as a guaranteed basic income. That's just why in Canada, the argument has really moved towards a guaranteed basic income because it's more realistic in terms of taxpayers um, impact versus the way to think of universal, which I'm a fan of both, but UBI is really about 
about co-ownership, about creating assets we own together, and that can pay distributions. So one of the main, um, in Alaska, they have a, a fund, an investment fund that comes from oil revenues. And that fund gives everyone 2,000 bucks a year or so, depending on the year. It's very popular. Republicans won't fuck with it. Democrats won't screw with it. Um, and because it's so popular, because hey, we this oil, nobody owns it. Why don't we all benefit together? And we shouldn't use it to, pay, to just to pay off government revenues because uh, lower taxes, because we all deserve a share of this oil. So that's the argument for it. We can look at Canada at the natural resources sector, minerals, oil, uh, you know, the carbon tax is a good example. We own the air together. We, we deserve to be compensated if there's pollution. So the way to think of a universal check is it should come from something we own together. And that's not the same as a guaranteed basic income. The intentions are different. The intention on, on a UBI is, is, uh, is, is mutual ownership and shared prosperity. The intention on guaranteed basic income is we shouldn't have poverty. We should have long-term income security in this day and age. Right. Now, on paper, in principle, that sounds great. Yeah. I'm still not clear how they get the money for this. I mean, aside from the fact that they're printing money right now, giving it to every other country but Canadian citizens, let's be honest, right? That's <laughs> really what's going on in Ottawa right now. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it seems like they've got, you know, they're cutting uh, military funding, but they have money for other countries. And I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't help other countries that are in trouble. That's not my intent. Yeah. My, my point is that if there's a dollar for somebody else, there should be a dollar for the citizen, too. Sure. Right. So that's all the only point I'm making. I'd rather we that. end poverty in Canada than fund the war in Ukraine because, you know, we have problems here. Yeah. Well, uh, well, exactly. I, I, I get that point. So now I'm, you know, so obviously the, we're overtaxed here. Yeah. Like way overtaxed. And again, I know from what you're saying, you're saying the money's are, they already have the money. But if you look at their funding, they're already, they're in deficits and there are more and more deficits each and every year. Mm hmm. So how can they have the money and be in a deficit? Now, we know government overspends, but the point is, so where's the real solution? How, how, do, how do we get control of this and how do, uh, how do we get these funds? Like, that's the part that I'm not clear on. Yeah, I understand. So, like, you know, a lot of government money is not being spent very well right now. Like, if you could choose between uh, funding more Volkswagen plants, you know, giving money to corporations or giving money to people in poverty who can then pursue better work and jobs, like, which would you pick? That might depend on, on your values. And if you actually believe that it'll giving it to people who, who need it will help. Uh, I funded some research that actually showed some uh, by the Canadian Center of Economics Analysis that a basic income would grow the economy by more than it costs. It, a $2,000 guaranteed basic income uh, would eventually add $80 billion to Canada's GDP, which is more than our tourism and hospitality industries combined. So that's pretty extraordinary if you think about it. That's a lot of jobs. That's like over half a million jobs, I believe, was in the research that would be created because when people have more money to spend, they spend more in their in their local businesses and everybody benefits, especially small business benefits. So so it's just a difference in priorities. But again, to the gro net, the gross, the net cost here, in our research was about $51 billion, which is very small. It's like 5% of all government expenditures in all of Canada at all levels combined. So I think that is actually worth it in terms of, of reducing or eliminating poverty and the impacts that that would have. And in our, our website, ubiworks.ca, we showed a way to um, to fund that that would not cost most uh, working class people. It would cost mainly the financial sector, large corporations, and, and very wealthy people. Well, how so? So you're basically saying you know tax the corporations and transfer the money? Uh, not exactly, because at least in the plan that that we're proposing, we we proposed um, a uh, a passive 
income tax, which is if you have if companies have large amounts of money just stuck in in uh, passive instruments like bonds and such, they're not that money's not actually creating jobs. Like there's not money being spent on employees or being spent on investing in new things. That's companies that have excess cash and just stock hoarding it. Like Apple has like over a hundred billion dollars just sitting there. How is that helping the economy? They should be investing that and in, in creating jobs. So this would penalize, you could call it uh, a kind of corporate behavior that is not actually good for the economy. Um, you know, the capitalism works because people invest in things and create jobs and they innovate. Just hoarding money is actually not good for capitalism. No, I get what you're saying, yeah. but your plan would just basically means move my money to, to another country that doesn't do that. Uh, well, yeah. Well, what I'm saying is that it would be like self-prophecy here, right? Like uh, that's what would happen. Right, like a lot of companies would do that. A lot of companies would transfer. Yeah, yeah. I think companies that could have done that have already done it. <laughs> you know, because we already have a really high income tax on corporations, and uh, yeah, yeah. Like it's yeah, that's what I'm saying. So I, I just and again, look, Trudeau already put a uh, tax on the financial system, mm-hmm. and if you notice that you're paying more monthly uh, fees with the banks now. So really, his extra tax to the financial sector, as you said, who's really paying for it? Well, you try to go without a bank. One, it's been for that. Interesting. Hey, look, the the bank fees used to be fourteen ninety five. Yeah. As an example, I'm using one bank. I won't mention the name. Yeah, and it's now sixteen ninety five. Huh. So reality is, yeah, he he charged those large financial institutions just like he said. But in the end, at the end of the day, you're the one paying for it. Well, it's possible that some share was passed on to consumers, but we don't know if all of it has been on. That's actually a talking point that is often used on on, on conservative media. But we, we don't actually know if some of it came from shareholders. Uh, you know, like maybe some was passed on, maybe it wasn't. Maybe that went up two bucks because of inflation. But there's no way that it happens simultaneously, and it's not coincident, and it's and it's just coincidental. Yeah. Well, it all. I mean, also we went through COVID at the same time, so yeah. who knows? I'm right? saying no. Well, he made yeah. that change recently. Yeah. And what happens is he made that announcement, and exactly 60 days to the date that he made the announcement, the bank fees went up. Well, it's interesting because banks are really cleaning up. Like they have profited so much by by offering so little in return. Like they should be taxed more. And like in uh, and I'm saying they'll pass on the thing, right? So yeah. I'm not saying that you're wrong, and I'm I'm not saying that poverty is a good thing, and I'm not saying I support poverty. So let's be clear with that. (laughs) Absolutely. All all I'm saying is that, uh, you know, like it just sounds like another Robin Hood uh, idea, right? I I don't disagree with you where the government spending is ridiculous. I mean, like they go around and they'll spend like eighteen thousand dollars as an example to do the same damn thing that I could do for twelve. How's that possible? (laughs) Yeah. Right, like, like, why is it? It costs more for them to do the same damn thing that we do. Well, it costs more to police people in poverty and 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 have them have hospital beds just to eat and have a night's sleep than yeah. it does to give them money. Also, also, here's the other thing that I've noticed. Right, like, prime example. Look at Elon Musk la- launches a rocket yeah. for three hundred million dollars, and the government spends one point eight billion dollars to launch that same rocket. How is that possible? You mean they subsidized him? No. Oh. No, I'm saying when they launch something into space, it oh, costs them 1.8 billion. Yeah. yeah. When he launches, it's 300 million. Oh yeah, because he innovated with the uh, returning rockets and all, and all that. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah. Like I, so I'm, so obviously, what you're like the, the fact that governments are not efficient, yeah. that's yeah. evident. But telling them to become efficient, would they actually do that? <laughs> and and that's actually the the conservative argument for a basic income. One of the biggest champions in Canada for a basic income is the. Unfortunately, re- recently late Hugh Siegel. He was uh, Mulroney's chief of staff. He was a senator, and he spent most of his life after his office campaigning for basic income because he saw it as more efficient, uh, less red tape, more dignified than existing social programs for people to lift themselves up and pursue their potential. Um, yeah, it's it just it's money moves markets. Basic income is just money. 
you know, it's a, that's what makes things work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I like I like the premise of what you're saying. Yeah. I don't know how feasible and how, what what the turnout would be because on paper, a lot of times on paper things sound like one way, yeah. and yeah. the reality of it ends up being another way. Oh, we've had a lot of experiments already. There've been over 110,000 people who have been in basic income experiments in the last 50 years with no meaningful reduction in work. People are concerned people work less. Only single mother, only mother, recent mothers rather, and students work less because students could finish their degrees. And recent mothers could continue being mothers before going back to work. I'd argue that those are actually good for society. So I think the, the evidence is already out that people don't work less and it generally does help the economy. Some of the more recent I'm ones. Yeah, I'm going to contradict that now because look ahead. at COVID. When we had all the, we had CERB, we had all the stuff going on. Yeah. We had yeah. people stop going to work. Now for good reason, bad reason, I don't know. Yeah. It's it, just, that's what happened. And um, now the service sector can't get people to show up to work. I mean, I went to a Jack Astor's as an example about yeah. two, three weeks ago, yeah. something like that. And um, they, we, told, we were told it'll take an hour and a half to get our food. And wow. I'm going, I'm looking around, the restaurant's empty. I go, why is the restaurant, you know, why is it going to take so long? We have one cook, two servers, nobody showed up to work. Wow. And now I really believe, which I'm going to contradict myself here, is that uh, they don't have a staffing problem. They have a wage problem. <laughs> yeah, and what I mean by that is that if you're going to work and you're going to work for just say $15 an hour, whatever it is, and you're going and you're collecting just say your three grand a month or you, or, and, and you're still falling behind, what's the difference if you fall behind $500 a month or you fall behind $800 a month? What you're doing is still not working. So obviously you're going to want to do something else yeah. and missing that day of work you know, is not really that harmful to you because you know you're behind regardless. Yeah. So and I think people have that attitude. I don't know whether it's right or wrong as perspective. It's easy for me to judge, right? But reality is that I, I think that's how some people feel. Yeah. And where I'm going with this is obviously we're already seeing people not go to work. So, I mean, like it's already evident that just from CERB that started that trend. Yeah. So now do I believe that everyone's going to be like that? No, I'm not stupid to believe that everyone's going to take advantage just because it's there. Yeah. I, but and obviously there's going to be a handful of people that will, and that goes with anything in life. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with this. I'm not going to lie. I'm fascinated. Yeah. I, I don't know what the young outcome is. Like I, I have, I have arguments on both sides. Well, I can I can just tell you that some of the recent uh, pilots that ended in the U.S. In the last year, uh, they were much smaller, like five hundred bucks a month, and that uh, they actually saw saw an increase in, in people going to work and getting more jobs because people had just that extra amount to afford the bus fare to go to the interview to get the job, or to get a nice uh, outfit to go, or to afford to get a bit of childcare so they can work and make even more. Like like you just said, that that difference in a few hundred dollars could be the difference between someone like saying, "Fuck it, it's not worth." going to that job versus I can actually pursue a better job or, or I'm going to go and, and work. So that's actually, we've seen it in the pilots, like we've seen it in the trials. So the I would say the evidence is out. I mean, you know, obviously I, I, I um, welcome people's skepticism. Right. But now, so you can take a look into the, the trials that have happened. Yeah. See, one another thing I disagree with you on. Yeah. And this is going to reference a little bit of my view of the school system. Sure. Is that uh, I'm okay with mothers getting the support, right? Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough to be a mother and especially of a young child. I, I'm not going to dispute that or even get into that, Yeah. right? I mean, that's a rough job and I don't think they get the credit where they need it. But in terms of students, um, you know what? School these days is an option. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that people should not go to school. 
in certain circumstances, I actually am saying that, but yeah. in most circumstances, I'm not. It depends on, look, a lot of times people go to school right after high school, they go to university, and they're taking stuff just to get into university. They have no idea why, because they don't know what they want to do. Now, my look at my view of that is that if you don't know what you're doing, and you don't have an objective, and you don't have a direction that you firmly know that that's where you want to go, yeah. then you shouldn't be paying for school, at least not on a loan, not on credit. You know what I mean? Like, like I don't believe in student loans. And I'm not, I, I, I believe, look, I grew up in an era I went to school. And when I went to school, you went to work in the summer, you saved your money, you use that towards your books or tuition. Well, school is a lot cheaper when we went to school. 100%, right? 100%. My, my beef, again, is not with students. My beef is with the schooling program, right? My beef is with the universities here. It's, uh, they've raised, raised, raised prices, and they deliver a lot less than they did in my era. And, you know, so people are paying more, bigger debts, and getting less. And I, I think that's just wrong. And, I, you know, like, their programs are so outdated. In fact, they teach less than what I got when I went in there. Mm. Uh, and I can look at that. Take the average millennial, take them in front of a cash register, and give them the numbers of what things cost, and then give, pay them the money and say, don't use the cash register. What's my change? You're going to sit there and go, I don't know. I don't have a calculator. <laughs> Guess what? I knew all the multiplications, divisions, additions, whatever. I can go anywhere up to 12 by 12 with, by memory by, by being able to calculate it. They lost the ability to solve problems. What ends up happening is school has become more about pro programming, about being robotic, and they're teaching you to be a factory worker when there aren't any fucking factories in, in Canada. Part of my language, right? Like that, that's really what it comes <laughs> down to, right? So I disagree with the system. I think the thing needs to be overhauled, redone, and, and basically it should be more affordable, which is half giving you your argument. <laughs> well, I can tell you what, uh, what, yeah, well, a lot of the arguments around the school issues and automation in particular. So firstly, Canada is the number one country in the world for university educated people who are in poverty. Why is that? ridiculous. We're being mistrained for the wrong things. To what you said, yes, and uh, and but and Andrew Yang was arguing, and actually the German government has a huge focus on trades. So they have like a, a trades people in trades make six figures, like plumbers, electricians, like general contractors, and people in in construction. Like we need more of that. We don't have enough. It's very hard to get a, a electrician to come to my house. We need more of that. So like countries like Germany have realized this because they have a high industrial sector and they know automation is actually taking out a lot of the jobs that used to be done. Like you, you probably heard. Bernie Sanders say that it used to be that a, someone in a college degree uh, working at a gas station could afford a house and a vacation and a family on one income. So these days, like university educated people are, are competing to take the jobs that, that college educated people used to have or, or high school educated people used to have. And then people with, with, with smaller degrees end up doing even lower paid work. Now, why? Because like the, the economy has changed. We already have so much automation. There's been so much restructuring, so much monopolization. There's just not enough middle class jobs. So we are currently, um, many people are training for the wrong things. It'd be good to have a better emphasis on trades. So especially as automation continues to take out knowledge working jobs, we'll need more creative jobs, more hands-on jobs, more bespoke jobs. But look, you mentioned it there, right? We're training in the wrong jobs. That's the biggest problem, right? Like, again, you want to be a doctor, you want to be a lawyer, you want to be an engineer, go to school. I totally believe that the program is there for that. Yeah. You want to be a lawyer and you need to go to school to get you know, your license through the law society. You need that. But if you're going to start up your own business, you don't need school. If you're going to, uh, you know, let's be honest, even if you're going to do marketing these days, you, you don't really need it. Like, I mean, I'm not saying the, the education thing for marketing doesn't help and you don't learn, but it's really outdated. And, and marketing gets updated so much, 
you're better off practicing to learn. Learn the principles, and you can learn that without the school. Um, there's for marketing, I agree. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, but people are still going to school for marketing. Ooh, I got a director of communication degree or whatever. Like, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, what does that do for you? Or I went to school for philosophy. Wonderful. That's great that you did it in your own time, but there's no reason to have a loan for that. There's another reason why a basic income would really help people pursue what they really want to do. A lot of people go and get the degree because if they don't have it, they may not have find a job they might want later. But I think that's, that's horseshit. You know? And I think that's horseshit. And that's why I don't think people should finish high school and go straight, straight to university yeah. unless they know exactly what they want. Yeah. Like I said, you know you want to be an engineer and you're going for that? Sure. Well, in I, the case, I, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Well, in, the, in the case uh, of a basic income, you could take the time to figure out what you want and meanwhile do But do you don't need the basic income for that. In, you in you could meantime. just finish high school, get a damn job, save your yeah. friggin' money. After a year, you can decide what you want to do and pay for it in cash, at least for the first year. Or you could afford to start a business and yeah, pursue your dreams. There. See? Yeah. And again, I'm not saying that basic income is not a help. I'm just saying you don't need that to decide what you want to do in your life. Yeah. <laughs> no, of, course, of course not. But a lot of people have, have dreams that they can't afford to pursue. And you could pursue them if you had basic ends met. Yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying there. Yeah. Now, especially small business, like like the village baker, you know, small towns, like that would really help. One of the proponents for basic income during the Ontario pilot that happened here in the 2018, uh, they ran a, a uh, I think it was an ice cream shop and said basic income really helped them uh, when it was like, uh, when they had ups and downs in their incomes, helped them stay afloat. It helped their employees. Uh, it, it helped their their customers more had more customers because of the basic income. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get your point. I'm, yeah. Like I said, I'm still uh, not convinced on how the money's going to get there. And I, again, I'm okay, a pro that, capitalist. That's fine. Right? Yeah. I, I believe that you get what you put in. I believe the middle class is in trouble. I'm not, de de you know, I'm not contesting that with you. Yeah. That is, they are 100 percent right now. We're at the era where you're going to figure out how to be rich, or you're going to be broke. And there's not going to be a middle ground, yeah. right? That's where we're heading. You're right. And I don't think it's just AI. I think AI has basically, just like COVID, brought some of our changes to the forefront. I think AI is bringing things to the forefront. There's going to be a lot of jobs created with AI. Now, if you learn how to use AI and you learn how to utilize that and get the skills to use it as a tool, your value is going to go up. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And, and that's the There point. is a lot of opportunity, but not enough for to create a new middle class. Enough for like a few smart people who will pursue things and get wealthy. Yeah, I I, I get it. Now, why? Let's be honest. Why would anybody want to be middle class? Like you know what I mean? Like like it's not. Again, middle class to me is settling. I'm settling the okay. fact that I'm not yeah. that good. I'm not that good at doing anything. I'm not. I can't excel. So I'm gonna get uh, a certain level of income just for getting by. Now that's just a perspective. It doesn't necessarily mean, again, not everybody's going to wake well, up today and say, yeah, I found not a way everyone to make $10 the, million. Dollars. Not everyone has the hustle culture. <laughs> but, <laughs> but my point I'm getting at is the fact that, uh, like, I, I find there's a lack of ambition to grow, a lack of ambition to do more. It doesn't have to be either A or B, right? Like, I, I believe in abundance, right? I believe there's sure, opportunity. Me too. Right? And I believe uh, that if somebody really wants it, they can go out there and get it. Now, I also don't believe in uh, leaving people destitute. Mm -hmm. So that's where I said I kind of understand where you're coming from. Yeah, I where I kind of uh, wonder. Well, you're 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 all you're a really good place because you see that structurally the economy is moving towards a two tier. Yeah. Right. So if you're there, then if everyone else gets there, then society has to ask itself: Do we want a society that's two tier, or do we want a society where everyone has opportunity, equal opportunity, and and isn't in poverty? Especially since there's really no more 
um, we cannot continue to live in the fantasy that everyone can pursue a middle class or, or better job is there's not enough for everyone. So in that case, do we have a basic income so that everyone can have income security and pursue their potential? Or do we not and continue a two-tiered society where, where more and more people are vulnerable and, and exploited? See, where I, where I differ here yeah. is that I believe rather than giving out handouts, why not create more opportunities? This hasn't worked. Like, we have 40 years of like the market shifting to lower job quality. How, else, how long do we have to wait? <laughs> Another 100 years? It's never going to happen. Like, yeah, small targeted niches, you can create programs like the, the current liberal government has created an education grant. It's created all kinds of small targeted grants, but the middle class is still shrinking. <laughs> anyway, it's a, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, obviously investing in economic growth is, is an important, this has to be default, something we build on top of any plan for a better future. And basic income does that. Hey, I'm going to tell you now, right? More than it costs. If I could replace my income and not not run around, show houses, not run around opening doors and doing any of that crap, believe me, I would. Sure, but you want you want to live near the poverty level? No, but that's not my point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Again, so that doesn't solve anything. Yeah. Based on what you just said, it doesn't solve anything because you're still near the poverty level. The idea is, we need, I think we need programs or something to figure out how to get people out of the poverty level, yeah. not really give them a handout. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, like I said, I don't believe in leaving people destitute, yeah. right? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying I, I think that more than just handing out income, I think more, more needs to be done than that. I still believe that programs, you know, to do better needs to be created. Sure. I think that um, I'm not again, you know, I, I don't believe, like prime example, if, if you're at a job that pays minimum wage and you decide you want to go to the cottage, I don't blame you for that. I would too. What are you losing? I mean, the cost of living is just say $100 a day and I'm getting paid 80 bucks. I'm going to say what, you know, what somebody say, you know, explain this to me one time. I said, hey, you didn't go to work. And the answer was, who gives a shit? <laughs> and you know what? That's the truth of the matter. Because if it's minimum wage, you can get any minimum wage job anywhere. Who cares yeah. about that one job? I'm not saying, you know, the attitude is a problem. You shouldn't yeah. have that attitude. But yeah. my point I'm getting at is, what's the incentive, right? If you're So I don't believe a person should be destitute. I just don't believe handing money is going to solve the problem either. Okay. Um, well, I believe that we should have programs, and I, and I think we have to live more in a, a life of empathy, and that even includes for, includes uh, you know the uh, corporations out there. I think they need to stop being about just about shareholders and start uh, you know incorporating everybody. Now, how to do that? That's beyond me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I understand your your values around it. The point is, if you want to call the handouts, it works. Like it's work, it's proven in various experiments and, uh, and people. But there's just enough as experiments to prove yeah. that's re a reason for people not to work. Right. The, what I'm saying is we just haven't seen study that. you find that will prove one way. Yeah. There's yeah. a study that will find that will prove the other way. Right? Yeah. Like it's it's I, again, we haven't. Well, tried in, ge it, so. in general, possibly, but just not not in this case. Like there's no studies that other than students and, and recent mothers show that people work less on, in, in any meaningful amount. Well, COVID showed that. Not statistically. Yeah, there's a lot of stories about it. And a lot of people, and again, the COVID was like welfare and that you lost all of it when it runs out or when you go back to work. That's why the conservatives yes. were arguing to change but, it to work like a basic income. But, but here's the point, case in yeah. point. We have reopened, yet the service is nowhere near what it used to be. People are not showing up to work. They're saying they can't get people to get to work. 
That wasn't a problem well, before that's, COVID. That's not because of any support, because there's no more Serb support. Right? No, but it started while the yeah. Serb was still happening. Why would people would not go to work and keep collecting Serb? Well, it could be that we're in a situation where a lot of people actually did upgrade to better jobs, and there's now some there's of not that has happened jobs, too, which is a good thing, right? I'm not saying that. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't. I don't believe there's any one thing that causes sure. something. I always yeah. believe there's a multitude of things that add to each other. Yeah. Now, again, your basic income idea. Do I think that? It would make, uh, you know, do I think I'm completely right where it would uh, make things bad, like like where it's bad for everybody? No, I think it would help some people. Yeah. yeah. But I also don't, you know, again, I, I think there's not the only answer, yeah. right? I, I don't think that it's going to be a big enough impact to solve all the issues, right? I don't, of course, it's not, it's not a silver bullet. No. They say basic income will not solve every problem, but it'll make every problem easier to solve because a lot of it comes down to lack, lack of long-term security. Yeah, a lot of people are afraid of that right now. Yeah, I, I, again, I, I don't <laughs> see it, right? Like, I, I don't That's see cool. it. That's cool. Like, yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't see it. I'm, I'm having trouble connecting the dots. Yeah, right? I understand. So, yeah. That's, again, I'm fascinated by it because it's, an, it's a concept that... Yeah, we, yeah I understand. 